are going to jump into today's um, focus, which is embracing the truth of Christ, embracing the truth of Christ. Now, I wanted to, uh, am I a little loud with this? Uh, the, uh, I wanted to have an interview with uh, Lee Strobel, and I couldn't get him to come. But uh, uh, I have known uh, about Lee Strobel from all the way back to shortly after he uh, made his commitment to follow Christ. Uh, he uh, ended up leaving his uh, position there uh, in the Chicago Tribune, and he joined staff at Willow Creek Church. And our staff used to go to Willow Creek a lot when I was back in the Midwest. And uh, Lee Strobel would speak, and you're like, man, the man's on it. And it's just sort of fun to see his heart um, as God has continued to build him and use him mightily over these years, all the way back from those late 90s. But uh, instead of having Lee come in person, I thought I could have at least a video clip of him doing an interview uh, with another gentleman uh, that has a ministry that they've co- uh, collaborated together on. And so um, here is Lee Strobel present day, and this interview was done uh, shortly before the film was released about his book, Case for Christ. So here with Lee Strobel uh, in studio and on the set of your film that is being made right now, The Case for Christ. It's his story, and uh, so many of you know about the book, The Case for Christ, that came out in 1998. It's uh, been read by millions. It's impacted countless lives all over the world that have been impacted by your story of this incredible background um, in uh, law and uh, being the law editor for the Chicago Tribune. And, and so you're this investigative journalist. And, and uh, through a series of events, you begin to you know, look into Christianity yeah. and the claims of Jesus Christ, the yeah. crucifixion, the resurrection of right. Jesus Christ. How can this be right. true? Right. You didn't believe it. You were an atheist at that time. Right. And, uh, and as you dug in and studied this over about two years... You ended up coming to faith in Christ yourself. Right. And the, the, the story, the case for Christ, is about that. But the movie depicts so many. Uh, there's so many powerful scenes. There's great actors mm, in it. Yeah. Uh, and and I just really enjoyed seeing some clips today myself here at the studios. Um, but I'd like to ask you about your relationship. Your wife came to Christ first. Yeah. And uh, and that was tough for you. Very tough. What was that like for you? Because there's people who are who are watching this and who are going to watch the movie. Yeah. Who are maybe there? Maybe it's a a uh, young person in the family comes to faith in Christ and their parents don't understand, or maybe yeah. there's a spouse who's a believer in Christ and the other one doesn't believe that, you know, that Jesus is real and, and just thinks, you yeah. know, that this is ridiculous. And and that creates tension in a family. So what yeah. was it like for you? Uh, creates tension. That's an understatement. <laughs> it really can. It did in our case. Uh, created a lot of friction, a lot of arguments. Um, I had a lot of rage inside of me as an atheist because – I was always after the perfect high, you know, the perfect experience of pleasure as a hedonist, and everything would let me down. So I had a lot of rage and anger, and I remember once, Leslie, and I got in an argument about her going to church, and I was mad, I was angry she was going to church, and I just blew up, and I reared back, and I kicked a hole right through our living room wall. And Leslie's crying, and the baby's crying, and I mean, that was the kind of environment we were in. It was volatile. It was full of um, um, conflict, because... Um, she had, I, I felt like she was cheating on me with another man that, oh, who is this Jesus guy? All of a sudden he's like being held up in her life as being this model and this paradigm of virtue. And well, Hey, what happened to me? You know, I'm the one you married. Who's Jesus? So there was a lot of conflict and, and we find that, um, there are a significant number, especially of women who are married to men 
like me, Leslie, people like Leslie married to guys like me who may not even be atheists, but they're not open to um, faith. And um, so they're what we call mismatched. And so Les and I wrote a book on this called Mismatched, um, which is about what do you do if your spouse is not a follower of Christ? How do you navigate through these troubled and turbulent waters? Um, And really, I can give some quick advice that we've learned the hard way in our marriage. Yeah, please. That three three relationships that if you build into these relationships, it's going to help the situation. The first relationship is uh, your relationship with God. So that if you're the Christian and you're married to a non-Christian, what's important for you is to nurture relationship with God because it is through that that he's going to change you in ways that your spouse is going to see. And that's going to probably speak to your spouse more than anything else you can do, more than the words that you can speak. So build your relationship with Jesus. Secondly, have a relationship with a mentor. Some other woman, uh, if you're a woman or a guy, if you're a guy, who provides not just a shoulder to cry on, but good spiritual advice, who doesn't fall into the trap of it's me and you against your spouse, but uh, keeps you on an even keel, maybe mentors you spiritually to help you grow in that way. But it's very important to have a mentor. And then third, focus on your relationship with your spouse. You married your spouse for a reason, because you love them. And there are a lot of things you like to do together. Build on those things. Don't forget those things. If you like to go bike riding together, go bike riding together. If you like to take trips together, take trips together. But whatever it is, build into that bridge, that commonality that you have with your spouse. Because you're going to find that in in an unequally yoked relationship like this, often this schism can lead to separation and and can lead to um, each spouse going in their own corner, so to speak. Uh, and, And so find those areas of commonality that you can build on. Uh, we found that those three relationships could be key in keeping a marriage together. Mm, that's so good. Excited for your book. That's Thanks. forthcoming. Yeah, well, it's actually out. We, okay. we, it used to be titled uh, Surviving a Spiritual Mismatch in Marriage, okay. which is a mouthful. Try saying that yeah, five times yeah. in a row. Surviving a Spiritual Mismatch in Marriage. That's hard. So we named it Mismatch. Okay, that's a great name. And then the subtitle says something about when you're married to a nonbeliever. So, great. Um, so that's, that's in stores now? It's in stores now. It's got, a, it's got a 30-day prayer guide in it for your great. spouse and a lot of... Hard, hard-learned lessons from our own yeah. experience. Things that Leslie did that didn't help, you know, yeah. and then the things that did. Yeah, and I think you know, you guys have such a unique story because of your background and mm. in, in, uh, in your work at the Chicago Tribune yeah. and, and those things, and and even just your story with your your family growing up and, yeah. and where that led you. And uh, but yeah, I think it's important the closer you are with somebody to really just do your best to love them and yeah. live it out in front of them. Yeah. More yeah. than preach to them. Exactly. You know, the closer you are, you really have, you know, you only take key moments if they arise. But yes. besides that, just, just show them, exactly. you know, the difference yep. uh, that you see and, and pray and let God do the work. Yep. It's his work. Yep. And uh, so that's fantastic. I'm so excited for you guys check, to check out his book uh, and, and give it to a friend who needs that. Hmm. But also the movie is going to be uh, really sharing that story as well. Yeah, you know, the, that struggle. the Case for Christ film is not a documentary, so it's not just a bunch of evidence. But it is this story, and it's really a lot taken from the mismatched book uh, about the heart side, the relationship side. Um, and that's what makes it a story I think people can relate to. It's not just a bunch of, oh, here's the facts I discovered. But it's about the struggle 
and the conflict and the ultimate resolution. Yeah, and, and it's so fun to see you guys now and yeah. clearly just – 44 uh, years now yeah. in marriage. Yeah. And clearly love each other like crazy yeah. and uh, love your kids like crazy. And so you guys are a great example to so many well, in that way and, and you're loving life, loving each other. Yeah. And so good to see – excited for you guys to watch the movie uh, coming soon to a theater near you and uh, to see this story uh, played out and, and how it can encourage you and your own family uh, and the struggles or tensions you might have in your own family or friends that you know of that need to see this. So go ahead and check it out. So that's a point of encouragement because the movie's not probably going to be in theaters all that much longer to be able to invite others to go, and uh, that's an opportunity for us um, to take friends or to just for them to go and that kind of thing. But uh, next week we're going to conclude this um, journey on Case for Christ with uh, proclaiming the good news of Christ. And it's Family Service Day. we got some video of our kids answering questions related to what's the good news, that kind of thing. And uh, I want us to just see this journey of these four weeks as not an opportunity only to say, God, what do you want to do in my life, securing my understanding of knowing who Christ is and that what my faith is anchored on is anchored on truth historically and otherwise. But um, for us to be a body of people who are continually looking for opportunities to bring influence to other people. And uh, you may be here this morning because somebody invited you. It was a neighbor or friend or a co-worker or whatever. We're glad that you're here. And uh, we are a church um, that's just on the journey of becoming fully alive in Christ and to his mission which is the mission statement for the Awakening Church. And week in and week out, we're just going to continue to be faithful to what God sets before us, the opportunities we have at hand. I know always usually the week after Easter, people comings and goings because everybody gathered on Easter. But we had a great group last week. We had 430 people combined attendance from two services. That's not bad. So uh, we reached a, a goal that we sort of put out there. Uh, you take away some of the doubles from worship team and children's ministry and those kind of things. We really end up having close to 50% more people in Easter service this Sunday than we did a year ago. So God's on the move in those ways and just really excited about some of the uh, lives that are being impacted and it's not about the numbers game it's not about the size of the church but i tell you what it is about it it's about individual lives and each person being able to be transformed by christ their family their networks of friendships and being able to live as god called us to live in honor of him and all of his purposes so we'll stay at it then we're going to finish up next week on proclaiming the good news of christ and uh, as mentioned there in uh, that video clip just a uh, an encouragement to to follow through and maybe finish out seeing the movie with somebody and then they highlighted the book I, I it was true i think the case for christ i think maybe some people thought it was going to be more of a documentary kind of thing but really there was this embedded uh marriage relationship in it and how god worked through um that relationship as well through the evidence that uh, christ um, brought to elise robel's heart will you pray with me jesus i ask that in these next moments that through your spirit who is here in our midst you would bring not only affirmation, but that you would also bring exhortation to us as your body. Jesus, you proclaim that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one would come to you, come to the Father except through you. And Lord, I know here this morning that um, different ones of us are at different places on our spiritual journey. Some of us embraced the truth, embraced you many, many years ago, and we have historical record of that journey ups and downs. Lord, others of us are maybe new to understanding what it means to have a relationship with you and trust you. 
And Lord, there's others here today maybe who have been hesitant or maybe they've been not even knowing how um, to embrace the truth of you. Lord, I pray across the board that you would just encourage us this hour through your word as we go back to even look at some historical context of Passion Week and that we would truly let you, the truth, set us free as we embrace you. So, Lord, have your way through your spirit. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, as you very well know, I have highlighted in the last couple weeks uh, five historical facts about Jesus that will never change, whether you or I believe them or not. And so I summarize it here, and sometimes I wonder, do people get bothered by my repetition on a Sunday morning? Well, if you're going to take an exam, I trust that you repeat and repeat the information you need to put back on the exam. I'm not giving you an exam. Aren't you thankful of that? The churches don't have homework or exams necessarily. But there is an equipping and empowering aspect that the church is to do for the body. And so when we come back and we repeat through these, which we've looked at, at least four of them were looked at here now for two weeks, the fifth one we added last week, it's my encouragement for you to be able to get these in your mind and your heart, to be able to put in your pocket so as you walk along in life, you don't feel ill-equipped to be able to interact and dialogue with people concerning what truth is and concerning being able to proclaim the good news, all right? And you can always find my slides normally, right, Josh, online. So if you go to our website, theawakeningchurch.tv, you can always pull back a slide and know that. Some of you are not going to start You're going to stop taking notes now, aren't you? Anyway, um, but these are the five historical facts. This is really critical for us. Jesus is a real person, and he actually lived on the earth. So don't ever let something slip and slide as it relates to the uh, historical character of who Christ is, and that's even recorded outside of scriptures. Um, Reliable witnesses then wrote accurate records of Jesus. More accurate records and a a more voluminous amount of manuscripts are written about Jesus than any other historical book that we have, especially dating back into the first century. And uh, they were eyewitnesses that wrote about Jesus Christ. It wasn't hearsay, all right? It was mentioned last week that uh, Muslims do not believe that uh, Jesus uh, was crucified. But that was written by their prophet Muhammad in the year 600 years after Christ's crucifixion that Jesus didn't die, wasn't crucified. Well, I don't know. I would rather have the historical uh, eyewitness that's closer to the life of Christ being able to articulate what happened to Jesus. Number three is there can be no doubt that Jesus claimed to be God. I think this is um, a forthright. We're going to be looking at that some again today. Four, Jesus said he was the only way to God and the eternal life. This is the one that trips people up because, oh, man, we can't have this exclusivity of Jesus Christ going on. Aren't there multiple ways to God? But Jesus himself taught that he was the only way to God. And so you can't, you know, not give credence to that which he taught. And then five, last week for Easter, Jesus proved what and who he was by rising from the dead. The facts are Jesus was crucified. There was an empty tomb, and there was an Easter proclamation, people uh, 500 plus we saw last week, and others who proclaimed that he is risen, all right? So those are five historical facts, whether you believe them or not, and you can have a lot of good conversation right around those five facts right there, all right? And then we said there's the spiritual sticking points. And the spiritual sticking points with people, and um, this was Strobel's uh, sticking point, number one, was I can't believe. He had a a mind of a lawyer. 
Uh, he leaned into scientific credibility as, as one of the key ways. And so he uh, also um, understood that there were witnesses to put on trial and be able to give credence to things. But he just couldn't believe. So I can't believe is a sticking point, maybe for you, maybe for some other people around you. Number two sticking point was I don't want to believe. Uh, I don't want to believe because there's moral ramifications. Uh, there's intimacy things. I'm supposed to have a relationship with God. I don't like really relationships, period, maybe. And uh, there's the authority issues that come up. We don't want someone that's uh, Lord over us. The next sticking point was I don't know what to believe. All right. And there's a lot of we can sorting out because you're thinking there's a lot of people have different beliefs concerning even scripture itself and Christ. And so it's just too confusing. I'm just going to pass on it. Number four was I do believe. Isn't that enough? And we're going to hit that one head on today and, and embracing the, the truth of Christ. And then the last one I added and several of you last week said that was a good one to add because I can sort of identify whether yourself or maybe others that maybe are in that camp. And that is whether I believe or not, I don't care about belief. There's just sort of an indifference, apathy. Part of that comes from the fishbowl that you live in. You know, they say that you should never ask a fish what a fish thinks of water because that's all a fish knows, right? I hope you don't talk to fish, but that's what they say, right? So also, you and I live in a fishbowl of postmodern Western all right, world, and this postmodern says there's relativity, just live for today, uh, you know, and, and so we're conditioned in our mind not to care sometimes about belief and about truth. Sometimes it causes our brains to hurt a bit, right, when we have to dialogue and engage about truth issues. Well, you're not different than a lot of people throughout history. I'm not either. Well, I'm in that kind of culture. And so what I want to do today is I want to embrace, talk about embracing the truth of Christ, and I want to challenge us on a couple fronts. The first front is I want to challenge you to truly have a hunger to pursue and to know truth. All right? Truth is um, available for us to know today. But truth is not a commodity that you find marketed even in uh, philosophical circles or a truth is not something that you're going to even find dialogued about much on college campuses, believe it or not. You know, because there's this accommodation of everybody. Everything needs to be, you know, everybody needs to be nice, as I mentioned. And I want to uh, just explain a little bit why what I mean by truth, all right? Truth is not simply whatever works. Truth is not simply what is coherent or understandable. Truth is not what makes people feel good. It's not what the majority say is true. Truth is not what is comprehensive necessarily. A truth is not defined by what is intended. Truth is not how we know. Truth is what we know. Truth is not simply what is believed. Truth is not what is publicly proved. Truth is what ultimately corresponds to the reality of all things. Now your brain's starting to say, okay, I'm going to tune out right now, I think. 
Truth is not a democratic vote. Truth is not um, what you feel. Truth is not what is in vogue for that season of life. Truth is anchored in eternity. It reflects ultimate reality. And you and I can know what ultimate truth is. Some people say, I don't really necessarily care about truth. All right? Well, if you're on the other end of a lie, I bet you care about what is true. If you are falsely accused, if you're put on trial for something, maybe that's like, I did not do, you care about truth. Inside of us, there is a hunger for truth. And if we don't have a hunger to know truth and to embrace truth and to stand on truth, then I think life gets pretty slippery and sometimes it gets slimy. And we do not have a sense of context, safety, security, purpose, and ultimately a worldview that transcends beyond a mere 70, 80 years that God may so bless us with. Care about truth. In scriptures, it says this in Jeremiah 29, and there's a couple verses embedded in uh, this passage on the screen that maybe you're familiar with. This is talking to um, the Israelites concerning their need to know God. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Does that verse sound familiar? It's a great verse, isn't it? Then you will call upon me. And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And then this verse. It's out of Matthew. Verse 7. This is Jesus himself. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. So I just want to challenge you to have a hunger to know truth. Scripture says that the truth will set you free and you will be free indeed. You need to consume your life. In many ways, yes, we've got domestic responsibilities and, and, and God's got enjoyments for us and all that, and it's not contrary to truth. But have a hunger to know truth. Exercise your mind as well as your heart. Seek me. Ask. Knock. You will find me when you do so with all of your heart. You know, one of the um, oppositions to Christianity or faith itself in God is why is God always so hidden? Why doesn't God just come out of the bottom? Here I am, right? Well, he did do that through Jesus Christ. But there is legitimate questions behind the search for why has God remained so hidden? But here's a challenge I would give to you and you can give to your friends. If they will get down on their knees and they'll pray, even if they don't believe in God, pray. Pray can not be head bowed necessarily, just, but just ask Ask for God to reveal himself to you. Ask for God to reveal himself to you. God will take you 
up on the challenge in different ways and different ways. But if you're sincerely wanting to know if there's truth, if there is a God, he will not remain hidden if you get desperate to know if he's there. And you get hungry to knock and to call and to seek. I have never known anybody in my life, and I've had a few years of life, especially in the ministry, who has become a genuine seeker of truth and a seeker of God who has not found their way to God. Now, they can still reject God and some other kinds of things may end up happening, but there's this need for us as human beings to reach out and call. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. So that's just one of my forefront challenges to you this morning, is that you become a hungry seeker of truth. You can't embrace the truth unless you come to know the truth and to know about it. And that truth that we're ultimately pursuing is not just a bunch of absolute uh, ideas that are true in the universe. It's embedded in the person of Jesus Christ. And it was such a bold statement when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Truth. Many things can have truth in them. But there is only one thing that can be the truth. Truth must originate somewhere. And the resurrection validates that Jesus was that truth. All right? So with that, I want to then move to my second overall challenge today, not just to be a seeker and hungry for knowing truth. All right? But... To realize that there is going to be a cost, a personal cost to truth for you if you embrace it. I want to read for you um, a little bit of a, uh, a testimonial highlight from a guy by the name of uh, uh, Abdu Murray. And uh, Abdu Murray is, uh, he's an apologist, he's an evangelist, he was a Muslim, and he committed his life to follow Christ. He actually has a ministry uh, called Embrace the Truth International. He recently became uh, an associate of RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, and I want to just highlight for you what he has in um, the articulation of a, a story when he went to meet with a man in a hospital who was middle from the Middle East, uh, he was here alone in the United States. Uh, he had children, no wife, whether through divorce or death or whatever. And uh, no children had come yet from the Middle East. And he had a very bad medical condition, even life-threatening, if you will. I think it was sort of a heart condition. And he was in a hospital, and the chaplain for the hospital uh, had made their rounds and stopped in. And uh, the Muslim guy says, it's okay, I'm a Muslim. And she said, that's, that's fine, I'm a Christian. And, and they ended up talking about their faith. And he started asking questions concerning Christianity that she really didn't feel that she was able to answer very well, especially in his broken English that he was speaking because he was Arabic. And so she contacted uh, Abdu Murray and said, would you come and share uh, with this gentleman? And he says, well, I, I guess. So he goes up the elevator, gets off the elevator with his wife, makes his way to the room and 
and, and uh, traditional Middle Eastern Arabic respect. He greets him with uh, his Arabic greeting, and he sits up, and he begins to ask him questions concerning the uh, faith of a Christian and some of the questions that he had. And so this is uh, the, the dialogue that you find from this moment on. To be sure... He provided many of the usual questions Muslims ask about Jesus and the Bible and the gospel. Isn't the Trinity polytheistic? That's one of the things. There's multiple gods in Christianity. You don't believe the Trinity. Understand it. Hasn't the Bible been corrupted over time? How could God become a man and die a humiliating death on a cross? They were all objections I used to lodge against Christianity ad infinitum. Taking the questions at face value, I began to address them one by one. I provided philosophical, theological, and historical and scriptural answers to his questions, and he was a bit more open to them than most Muslims, but only a bit. As he offered up the usual responders, I answered them, but then he was coolly resistant, stony even. In fact, with every answer, he became stonier and stonier. Frankly, I was getting discouraged and somewhat frustrated, so I paused and turned things towards a different topic. His family. His children were all he really had left. Having heard that their father was ill, his sons and daughters were making arrangements to fly to the States to see him. And when he talked, and when talk turned to his children, the first crack on his stony veneer appeared. His lip quivered just a bit, ever so slightly, but it was there. Your children mean a lot to you, don't they? I asked. They're all I have in life, he answered with his heavy accent. Without them, I may die in this country alone. Do you believe that God is with you, that he cares about you and wants you to know him? I believe that he is everywhere, but I'm not sure that I can ever know him, he said. God is too great for a mere human to know. That is the belief many Muslims have, which is why this dear man was afraid that without his children, he would die alone. It was so sad yet so profound. I let his disclosures hover in the room for a moment as I prayed for guidance about the next thing to say, and then it occurred to me. I gathered up whatever boldness I was capable of and began the part of our conversation that really mattered. You've been talking for some time now about the answers to your questions about the gospel, but can I ask you a personal question? Uh, please, go ahead, he answered, sounding more confident than his eyes suggested. I swallowed hard and asked the question I feared might derail the discussion for good. I said, what would happen if you did become a Christian? What would your kids think or do? His eyes lowered as a slight sigh left his lungs. They would disown me. It is unforgivable and a shame for me to become a Christian. I knew that fear too well. I had had to face the possibility of such losses when I was wrestling with and even against the answers that Christianity offered to my toughest questions. I know what it's like, I said, to have to face that kind of rejection. I also know that the possibility of losing the people you love the most is a powerful reason to close your eyes to the answers the gospel provides. The historical and philosophical and theological arguments, none of them broke through this man's stony veneer. Like the words I had just spoken, a tear escaped his eyes and rolled down his cheek. Thank you, he said, surprising me. Thank you for understanding that I might lose everything I even consider if I even consider what you are saying. 
Though our conversation did not last much longer, the tenor changed dramatically from that moment on. After realizing that it was not the gospel itself that he had difficulty with, but the possible consequences of accepting it, he began to ask me follow-up questions instead of just lobbying rejoinders. And then a minor miracle happened. Some Muslims will not even touch a Bible, fearful that it is even unclean, uh, an unclean corruption that pollutes them. But this man, having realized where his real difficulty lie, difficulties lie, asked to keep the Arabic Bible I had in my hand. I gave it to him, put my hand on his shoulder, and said, Allah mahak amu, which means God be with you, uncle. Arabs call male elders, even strangers, uncle, as a sign of respect. As my wife and I walked into the hallway, I was reminded of the sober reality that truth has a cost. That cost may vary from person to person and from circumstance to circumstance, but there is no doubt that truth is costly. Embracing the truth has a cost. Has it had a cost for you? The cost of truth is the emotional barrier or personal bias that prevents a person from sincerely considering whether his worldview might be false and another worldview might be true. I challenge you and I and others to have a hunger to say, I want to know truth, to call, to seek, to knock. But once someone begins to go down that path of having a hunger for truth, you come to a confrontation with the cost of truth pretty quick. That's why on our spiritual sticking points, number two, I, I, I can't believe. I, I mean, I'm not, I can't believe. I don't want to believe because of maybe moral issues, intimacy issues, or authority issues. It's that cost that comes to stare you straight in the face. And here was this Muslim uh, aging man who... He saw some of the credibility of the gospel, but it was too much of a cost because if he believed in Jesus as the Savior of the world, he would be cut off, he felt, from his family. And this is true across the world. You see, you and I, we sit in a nice, comfy environment, air-conditioned, cushy seats, electronics. We have cars outside. But in a lot of parts of the world, there is not comfort when it comes to pursuing Christ and, 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 and worshiping him if even there's the opportunity. Because to make that change of worldview from believing this one thing and sort of repenting and turn from that and moving to another direction, there is a cost. There's a cost by what others may think, but there's also a personal cost in our own life. Jesus, if I can tell you this, did not make it easy to be a follower of him. And anything to the contrary that you've come to believe is a lie. It's costly to follow Jesus. In fact, there is the saddest verse in the Bible, as I recall, is in John 6, verse 66. Jesus begins to speak to them pretty hard about what it's going to take to follow him. You want to follow me? Take up your cross and follow me, which meant be willing to die. And they did, like we mentioned last week. Uh, the tradition says overwhelming number of the apostles, they were all martyred because they said Jesus is risen and stuck to that testimony and believing and following Christ. 
But in John 6, after hearing the truth that Jesus said that it was a costly following and they must eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, it says that many turned and followed him no longer. Were they genuine followers? Well, they were seekers. They were people. They wanted to know the truth. And check it. But then when they saw the cost, oh, cost, I can't do that. And maybe it's cost as it relates to what others may think around you. Maybe it's cost as to what you know that God's going to call you to do. And because you had those inklings, maybe it's just the cost of setting aside your agenda in life to pursue the agenda that Christ wants for your life. There is a cost. And sometimes... That barrier causes people to turn. Now, it's interesting in the story of Lee Strobel, as you walk through the Case for Christ book or in the movie, he kept getting indicators that his pursuit for the evidence for Christ was not in the camp he wanted. He wanted Christianity to be disproved, the resurrection to be disproved. He wanted his wife to step away from this cult that she'd become a part of as a follower of Jesus. But more and more truth started to stack up and the the balances weighed. And he began to make that turn. Can you imagine the cost that he knew he would have as an atheist, lawyer, journalist, writing in that kind of a secular environment? The uh, movie depicted that some, even with his own boss. But Lee Strobel made a choice to press through the cost factor and to embrace the truth. Itself, C.S. Lewis, who himself, C.S. Lewis, by the way, if you've not read him, I encourage you to, to read C.S. Lewis and his work, Mere Christianity, is one of the stronger kind of works to read. C.S. Lewis himself um, was an atheist, and he eventually bowed his knee to Christ. And I always like what he said. He said uh, that he was the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England because he was drugged, he felt, by God. To faith. I don't want it. I don't want it. But C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity if you look for truth, you will find comfort ultimately in the end. But if you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with, and in the end, despair. You see what I'm saying by that? If your goal in life is to have comfort, the easy route out, those kinds of things, then you will never find your way to truth. But if you take on the heart for truth, even though it may be uncomfortable in some ways because it's costly, in the end, you will have both truth and comfort. All right? But this is an ongoing battle. It's in a battle in your life, in my life. Following Jesus Christ is costly. In um, embracing the truth, I want to take us to really what is, um, I think, the ultimate classic story of facing the cost of truth. And that is part of the Passion Week. Doesn't Easter go by sort of quick? You expect maybe, I, and then it's almost like, where did that go? And now we're on to the next thing. Indulge me as I sort of backtrack a bit. We're going to look at the trial of Jesus, in particular, his moment before Pilate. You know, there were six trials that Jesus was put on in just those matter, those short few hours, and all of them he was done wrong in. Lies, other kinds of things thrown out. But here is the um, articulation of the story as it relates to Pilate. In John 18, it says this, 
Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. Now the Jews, the Jewish leaders, had tried him. He's blasphemous. He claims to be God. They're trying to get the Romans, though, to follow through with the crucifixion. The Sanhedrin could condemn him to die, but they could not actually carry out the execution. And so they took him to Pilate, to the Roman leadership at the time. And Pilate is like, what is the bother here, right? So he brings Jesus says, are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. And I love Jesus' reply. Is this your own question? Or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate retorted? Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Ah, what is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out. I hope they have videotape of that moment in heaven. The irony of it all. The one who embodied truth. Pilate asking him, what is truth? But he's not interested, is he? Not interested. He's just wanting to get on with this problem and get away with this problem. Pilate himself knew that if he began to lean into the truth and try to understand this Jesus, that his position of power and authority would be jeopardized. You've got to remember, in Matthew it records that his wife, the night before, had, had a dream about this Jesus, and she told him what? Don't have anything to do with this Jesus. Right? Don't, don't be pressured into anything. But he didn't listen to her. He didn't listen to her. He washed his hands clean. He... Let him be crucified because he didn't care about truth. He didn't have a hunger for truth. It wasn't like, oh, Jesus, what, what, what is truth? No, it was, uh, what is truth? It was that number five sticking point and indifference. Who cares? It's about power. It's about the material things that he had. And he wasn't going to jeopardize that. You know, he had higher ups. And if his higher ups, if Caesar and them saw that he couldn't control the crowd there in Jerusalem, then he would be ousted. And so here was this what he said. He wasn't a troublemaker, but the Jewish people were troublemakers and they were causing a problem with him. So he just disregarded. He had no hunger for truth. And one of the reasons he had no hunger for truth is because truth is costly. And he chose not to pay the price. The concern of costly truth is not just with people who are emotional or Christians. It's also true with atheists. Thomas Nagel is a philosophy professor at New York uh, University. 
prestigious, and he said this in his work, The Last Word. I want atheism to be true, and I've made and I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my beliefs. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. And we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Otto Huxley, who's philosopher, great literature writer, had several nominations for Nobel Peace Prize in literature, latter part of life, became more philosophical. He says this in Ends and Means, sort of a variation of what we mentioned a couple weeks ago. I wanted to believe the Darwinian idea. I chose to believe it not because I think there was an enormous amount of evidence for it. Isn't that incredible? Why did he believe it? Nor because I believed it had the full authority to give interpretation to my origins. But I chose to believe it because it delivered me from trying to find meaning and freed me to my own erotic passions. I don't want there to be a God. Truth, the truth of Christ himself, is a costly, costly truth. I like this statement. This is a good one to put in your pocket as well. Until the heart is open, the ears remain closed. Are your ears closed this morning? You dial in the truth of Jesus out. You don't have a hearing problem. You have a heart problem. And if your heart's willing to be open, you will hear the truth. Some of the people you've been praying for for years, this is how you pray. God, open their heart. Open their heart. Lord Jesus, you defeated Satan and his workers. Keep those workers at bay, away from their life. Yes, I want them to hear truth and to know you, but they need to open their heart. I want you to watch the clip of Lee Strobel when he came to that place. Touching moment it was, wasn't it? As depicted in the movie. The evidence was there. It's more than the evidence. He kept an open heart. He heard. And he responded. When you became a Christian, I freaked out. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, I was scared. Um, And I felt like I needed to, uh, to save you. And so I decided to set out to prove this was all a big con. And so that's what I've been doing all this time. I just had to prove this whole thing wrong. But I couldn't. The evidence for your faith, it's more overwhelming than I could have ever imagined. But it wasn't just the evidence, okay? It was you. You never stopped loving me. 
He never gave up on me. And I think because of that, God didn't either. <laughs> what? I mean, I don't, I don't think God gave up on you either, but what, what are you saying? Uh, I can't even fathom what I'm going to say this myself. I believe. I do. Let me just... Show you. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Mm-hmm. To those who believe in his name. What does that mean? <laughs> Means believe plus receive equals become. Okay. Um, so then, how do I? How do I receive? What do I? What's with the protocol for? Uh, There's no wrong way or right way. Just you. You talk to God. Mm -hmm. You tell him your heart. Mm -hmm. And we do that right now. I mean, shouldn't we go to church? Mm -mm, mm -mm. (laughs) Right here. Right now. This is church. just know that I want I want that I want I want whatever's next I want that so let's do that amen amen Plus receive equals become. 
the simple verse of John 1.12 shared with him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I've asked Joe to close with a familiar hymn that we know.